The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Today's buzz, retail. I know we did a show on retail last week, but we're going to turn around the other side of the table and talk about the relevant kind of retail, what really matters. So I have a message calling all retailers. Listen up. If you're not making each and every customer's experience more engaging, more exciting, and more fulfilling than your competitors are, and you know who they are, There's no time to lose. I can give you some clues on where to start. Find your own retail niche. Uh Uh-huh. There must be something you do exceptionally well or different. Leverage that distinction across your entire business. Okay, you know what that means. And nurture a fan-to-brand loyalty that makes shoppers want to engage with you far beyond the purchase. And there's a lot more. Those are just a couple of cliff notes, if you remember what those are. I have a great panel of experts for you today. First up, we're going to introduce a newcomer to Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio. It's BJ Bueno. He's the founder of the cult branding company. Can't wait to hear about that. And BJ sent me the following quote. Listen up, everyone. Some customers have a religious devotion to a particular brand. They may go so far as to permanently scorch their skin with the logo or image of the brand they love. BJ, what an image. Welcome to Coffee Break. How are you today, BJ? I am doing well. Thanks for having me on, and uh, I'm excited to be here with everyone on the call. This is great. Excited to have you. You've been tweeting all morning, and we really appreciate that. I can tell you're excited. So talk to me, BJ. What a quote. Who's scorching their skin with logos of the brand they love? I don't know those kind of people. Do you? Well, you know, over the last 15 years, we've had a chance to really get in touch with some of the loyalists behind some of the... I would say most funnest brands out there like Turner Classic Movies or Harley Davidson or Oprah. And these brands, when you really get to the heart of them, you find incredibly passionate folks. And some of those folks love to tattoo themselves. As everyone knows, we live in a generation tattoo. And uh, some of those tattoos reflect those brands and the emotions that they feel and the stories that they have. Now, what's interesting is that even though this may seem extreme, our work with retailers has shown that that passion and that emotion that drives those customers is something everyone can learn from. Wow. Now, now tell me, BJ, is this just for younger people, or do we have, and I use young advisedly, is this for people in their 20s? Is this a millennial thing, or do you get people who are so enamored of a brand in their 50s and 60s, they'll go and uh, do some scorching? What's your observation? Yeah, no, I have seen from ages 8 to 80 just really been passionate about the brand or the things that they love. 
So there is no real uh, demographic that way. It really just breaks down more in uh, psychographics and emotional uh, behavior towards the brand. Thank you very much. Great start to our topic. Actually, a very emotional and compelling start. Let's turn to Scott McCain, who was on with us last week for Retail, our first topic. And Scott is an expert on distinction. That's going to be a key word in the show today. And Scott sent me the following quote. And this is a quote of somebody saying, I love shopping there. They treat me exactly like every other place does. (gasps) Said no customer ever. And Scott says, create distinction. How did I do with that quote, Scott? Was that a Emotional that was, enough? That was perfect, Bonnie. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, too. Welcome great. back, Scott. How are you? Hey, terrific. Great to be back with you, and, and I appreciate it. You know, it's amazing, isn't it, that, that no customer ever says that. No customer is ever excited because you're exactly the same as your competition, yet many retailers go to market talking about their strengths, when instead they should be emphasizing their differences. Well, why should a customer choose you as opposed to the competition. And I, I think if retailers focus on that, then it gives them a chance to do something more unique and more compelling in the marketplace. Scott, let's uh, just take a minute here, and thank you for that great quote. Let's let's take a minute and talk about the drilling down of that distinction. For me, I still like brick-and-mortar stores. I still enjoy going to a store and, and when I walk in, I expect somebody to be there who will help me if I have a question. More and more, I see people congregating in a corner, the staff, the clerks, the, the, the floor people, congregating in a corner, talking to themselves. You can walk for half a mile in Dick's Sporting Goods, which I did with a friend last weekend. And we, we beg three people to help us find a piece of an accessory for a tennis racket. Three people and nobody knew what was anything in the tennis department? Nobody knew where this piece was. Nobody knew if they carry it. And finally, a young man with a cell phone, what a thought, what a thought, said, oh, we don't have it, but I can find you somebody who would have it, who will give you the service as well as the part. He can. He put, pulled up this, did a search, pulled up the name, gave me the name and phone number of the company, and we went there. It wasn't Dick's, but he gave us an opportunity to go to somebody who does servicing of tennis rackets. So, But it took 20 minutes of standing in the store, and nobody gave a you-know-what. Scott, yeah. how does this happen today? Doesn't anybody get it? Well, very few do, Bonnie. I mean, obviously, that, that's part of why we talk so much about it. Is because so few get it. But it, it, if you think about the kind of people that many retailers are hiring, I, I, I said in one of my first books that I think part of the reason that CompUSA, if you remember that old retailer, mm-hmm. went out I of, do. Went, part of the reason they went out of business is they hired people that wanted to be around computers, not people that wanted to be around customers. <laughs> I think of many sporting yep. goods stores. They hire people that love sports but not necessarily love service. And so part of what retailers have to do is to understand that you know you and I have tons of options, whether it's tennis rackets or laptops or whatever it might be. And so we've got to be able to create some kind of distinction in how we serve those customers and create such a compelling experience that their loyalty becomes assured. Good, and it's not the compelling experience I have, which is don't go back to that store. It's the other other kind of compelling we're looking for. Thank you very much. And now let's bring on a newcomer to SAP Coffee Break Radio. It's Nancy Casey. She's a global VP at SAP, and she leads the customer-centric merchandising and marketing business solution area. That's a big title. And here's the quote Nancy sent me. Very interesting. She observes, the latest major disruption in the retail world is Alibaba's IPO, which broke all records and wow did it and, and Nancy adds with a market cap of 230 billion 
larger than Amazon or eBay. The global retail market will never be the same. Great words of wisdom. Nancy Casey, welcome. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Wonderful. Delighted to have you. So talk to me. What's your observation? Well, it's very interesting. And if you look at what happened uh, last week, uh, I think the retail world will never be the same. The consumer market will never be the same. So Alibaba went public, broke all records, not only in the U.S. IPO market, but uh, historically. I think it was the largest IPO in history. And I think it really uh, made a statement that, you know, the retail world is constantly changing. And this is officially, you know, the date that uh, things will never be the same with increasing globalization of retail, instant access to 500 million uh, consumer shoppers in China. And you'll just see increasingly that retailers need to think about more than ever how they can distinguish their brand and how they can bring that omni-channel experience and and, uh, differentiate themselves in the market. Thank you, Nancy. Are retailers shaking in their boots now? Did they just look and their eyes rang up cash register dollar signs and said, wow, I wish that was me? Do they get that there's an impact here? Do they understand that the stakes have been raised? What do you see, Nancy Casey? I think some retailers understand uh, this massive impact and how this is going to change retail. I think others may believe that it's not going to hit their market, but uh, you know, the tidal wave is, is here. It's come and it's, it's going to change forever. So I think people a, will increasingly understand as that uh, they see the, the impact on their sales. I think it's a tsunami of change. I don't typically <laughs> use that word, but I, I think that's what we have to say. Thank you, Nancy. I have a question for my panel. You all know what's coming because we talked about it in advance. I want to know what are you drinking today? What's in your coffee cup or whatever cup is in front of you? Give me a great story. Let's hear your brand. BJ Bueno at the Cult Branding Company. Talk to me. What are you drinking? Well, today I'm having uh, cafe con leche. I'm uh, honoring a little bit of my Cuban Dominican heritage and uh, uh, a lot of sugar on it. You know, that's how we like it. <laughs> I like that too. What what is this? Uh, I assume that it's not decaf. I assume it's what we call full te- high test coffee. Yeah, and what? Coffee how dark? Is, is, uh, is pretty strong. It's uh, it's really strong and uh, and very. Uh, we like it with a lot of coffee, and usually you'll catch it in South Beach if you're hanging out there. Uh, people will get it in the mornings with a little Cuban pastry. I love it. Are you drink? Are you eating the pastry while you're drinking the coffee? No, that was a little earlier. Now we're at 11 a.m. I'm just having coffee and uh, and just getting going. It's going to be an incredible day today. Wonderful. I like your outlook on life. Scott McCain, what drink is thou today? Well, I've certainly stepped up from last week when it was hotel room coffee. <laughs> so, oh, thank goodness for that. Anything is better than that. <laughs> I have my favorite coffee. It, it, it's uh, from Keurig, I, I, you know, in the K-Cups. But you order mm-hmm. from them, and it's Emerald's Big Easy Bold. I had dinner at Table 6 here in Las Vegas, and they had just the best coffee, and I asked them, you know, my gosh, this is so great. And this is Emerald's special New Orleans big, bold blend. I drink it black. I love it. It it is high test, as you were saying earlier. But again, I, I think it's interesting because it was the experience of a great cup of coffee after a great meal, which gets back to the whole experience thing that we talked about, that made me want to continue that experience, to con- not only to buy more of the product, but it reminds me of the great service and the great meal and everything that I had at, at one of Emerald's restaurants. So I, it just reinforces what we're talking about, that when the experience is compelling, customers want to continue to drink from that cup. <laughs> 
Wow, I love it. I'm tweeting it. I'm sorry. I'm I'm listening to you. Scott McCain is drinking Emerald's New Orleans Big Easy Bold. I got it. We're out there. Good. Scott, that was lovely. <laughs> Nancy Casey, I, I'm not going to ask you to compete with these two guys, but I'm, I'm expecting a wonderful story. What are you drinking, Nancy? Well, right now it's a, a strong cup of uh, peace coffee. We're all drinking coffee, but um, a few days ago, I just got back from Germany, and what was in my cup was a very nice glass of uh, German uh, red wine as I was in Heidelberg and frequently travel there. So that was very nice. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Everybody sounds like they've got something good to drink. They just let me have water on radio show days. No caffeine for Bonnie. What can I tell you? Scott and I get that, right? Okay, tell you what. You have all earned a break. Our topic today, if you haven't figured it out, is retail relevancy. Distinction trumps differentiation. A lot of big words in there. And the subtitle is, it's time you'd better start cultivating fans of your brand or else dot, dot, dot. I'm speaking today with BJ Bueno of the Cult Branding Company, Scott McCain, an expert and publisher, author on distinction, and Nancy Casey, a global VP at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. If you're keeping count, it's episode number 153. Really? Okay. We'll be right back after the break with a 30-minute roundtable. BJ Bueno will kick us off with some talking points. And uh, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Bread out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are, and our topic today is retail relevancy, distinction trumps differentiation. Big topic, big Big expertise on this panel. Delighted to have BJ Bueno of the Cult Branding Company, Scott McCain, an expert extraordinaire on distinction, and Nancy Casey, a global VP at SAP. BJ Bueno, you're up first. Let's start our roundtable. 30 minutes nonstop. I hope you have a nice seatbelt on because you're going to need it. And BJ, you sent me some very interesting notes before the show. Let's start with this topic, promote a lifestyle. And you say experiential purchases are more meaningful than material purchases. And you add to retailers, develop and sell the tools that help your customers pursue their dreams and celebrate distinct lifestyles. There's a lot of meat on the bones there. BJ, talk to me. 
Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that we started really noticing when working with consumers was that even though they were taking away material things, these experiences were really where the meat was for them, like all their passion and love. So I'll, I'll tell a quick brief story here about mm-hmm. uh, taking Burt Jacobs from the Life is Good Company to Walt Disney World. So we were going... Uh, you know, doing a little reconnaissance on a bigger brand than Life is Good. And we were like, okay, let's go walk the parks. And all of a sudden, it all clicks in Bert's head that, wow, this, is whole, this whole place is retail. The customer supporting this whole place, and, you know, he has all his aha moments that I'm sure mm-hmm. every great retailer has as they walk through their competitors or through their admired brands. And at the end of the day, which was very important, you know, he got to see how the castle lights up with all the fireworks and everything, and it looks just like the logo. And then it was like, it all clicked. Man, these people want these experiences. So Life is Good, for example, they'll do these amazing festivals where they bring amazing artists and they celebrate Life is Good. So it it became very apparent over many years of looking at consumers in various categories that experiences were trumping really taking this object home. It was like... Pluto was a great purchase at Disney once your kid ran into the character and he had this mm-hmm. beautiful experience. And then it's like, you know, and you see it all the time when you go through the park where you see these kids amazed by the magic of Disney. And they're, they're in the experience. And the parents, of course, are shopping everything. Interesting. I'm, I'm thinking that you, you're saying, BJ, that the material purchase has meaning or more meaning and more resonance and more lasting brand value once you've had the experience that precedes that purchase. So when you see it, you feel it, you think it, it becomes emotional, then you want to capture that memory and then you're going to buy something. Is that the process? Yeah, and, and also as you're developing, as you've been through an experience with the brand, all of a sudden you begin to associate with it. And as, and as it gains meaning, the value, the equity of the brand uh, goes up. And a lot of brand equity relies on raising the perceived value that the product has in the customer's eye. But how do we raise that? It has to be through an emotional connection. That's the quickest way to raise the perceived value. I love the story that that uh, this gentleman from Life is Good went to Disney and saw that, and you said the aha moment. And sometimes that's what it takes. Quick question for you before we bring Scott McCain and Nancy Casey in on this conversation. BJ, how many retailers get that, that it's okay to walk through the halls, the hallowed halls of a really successful competitor and have that experience, if I can use that word? How many are having that light bulb go off, BJ? Well, you know, I... I like to say, I would like to say many, and of course, when I go to the NRF last year uh, with the SAP show, we did uh, a compassion, joy, and optimism, and we were, you know, it was like a wake-up call because a lot of retailers don't get that, and, you know, so you see, you, you see some folks getting it, and they're going, yep, totally get it, like Zappos gets it, like Tony Shea uh, gets it, you know, mm-hmm. so some folks get it right away, and they're like, they're just walking down that path, and you see their companies just accelerating in the marketplace. And you see other folks just fighting and resisting uh, information, data, and even the idea that emotions uh, are a part of the experience of a shopping or, or, or becoming a consumer. Thank you. Scott McCain, I know you have a lot to say. Join us. What are your thoughts? Well, yeah, to, to piggyback on what BJ was just saying, I mean, that, that's such an important point. Um, a few years back, I was asked to speak to the American Academy of Cosmetic Surgeons. I'm the first non-doctor to speak to them. And Ooh. in the research for that, I, w- I was fascinated because th- that's, a, that's an elective purchase in, in, in 90% of the situations. You're having a, a facelift or Botox or whatever. 
And I was, I was stunned that you can graduate from medical school and in many states never have taken a class on bedside manner. And I think, I think the same thing is true in business. You can get an MBA without ever taking a course on the importance of customers and the emotional connection. And so what we have, I think, are retailers and business professionals who have a lot of information and they, they know their products and they, they know their industry, but they don't know what's making a critical difference today. And that's exactly what BJ said, that emotional connection that we're establishing with customers and that we're establishing with prospects to turn them into customers at, at our respective stores. Scott, it sounds like emotional is the big word here. The two E's, emotion and experience. I think those two go together. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that, that's what creates the experience. As we talked last week, there's, you know, in my opinion, three levels at which you interact with your customers. The basic one is processing. That's what the customer has a right to expect, uh, the, you know, because they've chosen you as opposed to the competition. The second mm-hmm. is service. We greet them quickly. It makes processing more efficient and more palatable. But the third and highest level is the experience, and that's the addition of personalization and emotion. It, it connects with me on an individual basis, and it creates an emotional response. And, and the thing that retailers have to understand is loyalty to your store is only created at level three. I'm only loyal to things that I care about, that I have feelings toward. Why would I be loyal to something if I had no feelings about it? And so that creation of that emotional connection is, is critically important for retailers because that's what's going to ensure the retention and referrals and all of the things that the retailer desires to, to expand their business. Thank you, Scott. Nancy Casey, join us. What are you thinking? Yeah, I, um, it's interesting. I'm just nodding my head listening to both DJ and Scott speak because mm-hmm. that's been my experience as well. So, you know, traveling around the world, uh, meeting with um, many different retailers, it, it really comes down to this distinction. But and how do you create this distinction? You really have to establish it's more than just selling products, right? Retail is such an emotional experience, whether it's fashion, you know, buying products that you're going to eat, you know, food um, that you eat with your family, with your friends. Um, that's what makes retail so interesting is because you can connect with your customer so and your end consumer. So it's really important to establish, uh, you know, to really understand from the retail perspective who the customer is, uh, really connect with them and understand it's more than just a product. Um, it's a it's a product, it's services and experience. If I take, for example, a company like Loblaw, which is a large grocer in Canada, uh, they I believe that mm-hmm. they do a you know a good job in terms of you know understanding the consumer, understanding who their organic shoppers are, who their you know meat lovers are, who likes to barbecue, who likes to eat healthy kinds of foods. And they, they establish that connection with the end consumer because they understand the consumer and they can offer different products and services that are specific to the consumer and really um, create that emotional experience so they feel that they're creating a healthy uh, lifestyle for the consumer. But then also doing things like, you know, corporate social responsibility to feel like, you know, they're a partner um, with these consumers. Good points. Nancy, I have a question for you and for the whole panel. I was in Costco last weekend stocking up. That's what we do there. And I noticed a display must be ready for the holidays. Are they? Are we really launching toward or hurtling toward the end of the year? Uh, it was cashmere. 
cashmere sweaters, cashmere things. It was for men. It was for women. It was like a little contained mini store within Costco. It was tightly packed aisles and displays. And the prices ranged 150 200 I think that was the top. I'm not used to seeing anything at that price point in Costco when it's juxtaposed with with the sweatpants for twelve ninety nine or a, a ten pack of socks for twenty two uh, for two dollars and twenty two cents. So, are they getting that? Is there is Costco basically saying, oh, our customers want a different, a slightly higher end experience, even though it's Costco and you come here to save money? Nancy and and then BJ and Scott, any thoughts on on that appearance of cashmere at Costco? I was surprised. Are you BJ? Nancy? Well, um, for me, uh, this is BJ here. So I, uh, I get to work a little bit in the high-low retail uh, over the last 10 years, and I, I think more retailers in the segment are trying to bring uh, experiences that uh, resemble the mall because uh, ah. basically the drive time, uh, one of the, as you look at the data and competitive landscape, one of the, the folks who are, are losing is that drive time to the mall, and obviously the mall has a lot of retailers, so they're working hard to get folks out there, but I think then the, the retailers that have their own locations are also working really hard to keep the customers there and not having that budget go to the mall because as that $100, let's say, is being spent uh, from a, her wallet, it's going to not be like $100 for this store plus $100 for that store. It's one budget, and as right. the consumer has to balance more, more that one budget, you know, retailers are, you know, are smart, are stepping up that game because why let her go somewhere else? I like that. Nancy, Scott, who wants to add to that? I know you all have an opinion. Nancy, I called on you, and then I went to BJ. I'm sorry. Talk to me. Talk to me. No problem. Yeah, I think it's very interesting what Costco is doing. I think Costco is a great example where they understand their their customer, and they were traditionally reaching out to, uh, you know, the um, kind of the, the market for buying, you know, mass mass food, mass groceries, and they're realizing that, you know, one of their um, – their growing markets, the big growing market for them is more of this upper scale market and reaching out more to the millennial uh, type of consumers. So they're trying you know, different types of um, products and merchandise to really uh, reach out to that millennial group as well as some of the um, upper upper middle segment where they're, they'll, they'll come into the store and they want to buy. They'll actually look at buying cashmere as well as all of their different groceries. Interesting. Scott McCain, thoughts? Yeah, and I, I think it also makes customers feel better. If you're walking in a place to buy those, you know, those socks for a, a bucket of socks for twelve bucks, and, and you see cashmere there, it it, it uplifts the entire experience. It, it makes did. it feel better, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, but it really did. Here, right? And so I, I think that's part of what retailers have to view as well is that shopping is not only something that we do, but it's it, it can be aspirational as well. Mm-hmm. So you know the, the car dealers know that. That's why BMW has the one series now, the three and the four and the five and the six and the seven to kind of work you up through as mm-hmm. you know as you grow in disposable income. So I, I, I think it's a, for all the reasons that the other panelists have mentioned and and that one as well. I think it's a great, it's a great choice by a, by a terrific retailer. 
I think so too. I, I said, really? Wow. I didn't buy it, but I took a look. I thought, this is interesting. Good conversation. Guess what? We're going to go in a slightly different direction. Scott McCain, I'm going to start a new thread with you reading. Uh, let me look at some of your notes here. You say, because of the critical changes in the world of retailing, it's never been more important to create, and you put a, a copyright on this, the ultimate customer experience. And then you add, this is the definition. This is what I want you to discuss. It begins with this question. What if everything went exactly right for this customer? What would that look like? What would it sound like? What would it feel like? What would it be like? Scott, how many retailers know this simple formula for creating the ultimate experience? It seems so simple. Talk to me. Exactly right, Bonnie. You know, it it seems so simple, but it's amazing that not only do they not know the answer, many have not even asked themselves the question. And that's, that's what's so shocking to me. I, 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 the example that I, I use many times with my clients is it's like we, we build the sets and we get the lights and we get the cameras, we hire the actors, and we put them all together, and then the director says, okay, now what are we going to say? <laughs> you, know, you wouldn't start a movie without a script. And, yeah. and many times retailers think about what products are going to be on the shelves and, and what's the decor of the store going to look like and how do we design it. And, and don't pay nearly enough attention to the human interaction that happens once a shopper crosses, crosses the threshold of the door. And, and retailers do millions, billions of dollars in advertising. And all an advertisement is is an invitation for you to come in. Once you come in, then what, you know, it, it, it'd be like me sending you an invitation to a party. And then you show up and there's nothing going on. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, we, I've been we, there. <laughs> got, got to find a way. To, to increase our congruency between the experience that we advertise and that we hope for and what we actually deliver once once a customer crosses the threshold. Just a great concept, but I have a question for you, Scott. Whose job is it to care about this? Is it the store manager at the local level in the mall? Is it the, the CMO's job, the chief marketing officer? Is it uh, the human resources person, the, the human capital leader at the company says, we have to hire people who get our brand and who are willing to embrace it and basically scorch their skin I- internally to adopt the brand and to be our ambassadors, whose job is it to have this vision that they want? I'm sorry to say this, but whose job is it to make sure that they really want everything to go exactly right? Who cares? Well, Bonnie, the easy answer for that is, and, and, and the correct answer is that it's everybody's job. Mm-hmm. But the real world answer is if it doesn't start with a CEO, it's infinitely more difficult to, to deliver. If the CEO says, this is what we're going to do, and, I mean, they're, they're cliches because they've been used so often, but the reason is because so few get it. But when you talk about Herb Kelleher at Southwest or when you talk about Steve Jobs at Apple or when you talk about Tony Shea at Zappos, I mean, these are folks that said, this is who we are. This is what we're going to be. This is the experience that we're going to deliver to our customers. And it became so much easier for the organization to adopt that and to make that the culture of the organization when it came from the CMO or from the CEO and, and, and from the person at the top. However, that has to translate. Southwest has to translate that to the flight attendant on the plane. And Apple had to translate it to, to the experience that we have in the Apple store. And, and Tony Shea maybe had the toughest job of all creating that from a, for an online retailer. So it can be done. And, and it doesn't absolve the individual person in a retail store from from responsibility. You know, the CEO doesn't get it, therefore I don't have to. Tri- 
I mean, it's all mm-hmm. of our responsibilities. It just becomes so much easier and so much more productive for the company if, if the person in charge, if she says, this is the way it's going to be. Thank you. Nancy Casey, join us. Yeah, I, it's interesting because I, I think that I completely agree. It, uh, you, it has to start from the top down to CEO. Increasingly, it's the CMO where it's marketing plus merchandising who have to work together. And I, I, I go back to, you know, it's important for a company to set that right vision, right? So how, mm-hmm. they have to, they really have to explain and disseminate that down to every employee down to the store of who are they as a brand, right? So what are, what's your mission um, within your company? Who are you trying to reach out to? What's your brand? So that, you know, everything you do, um, you know, transpires into the products you buy, uh, what type of service you offer. And so I really think that starts, you know, at the top really how you define your business. If I look at a company like, you know, Guilt.com or, say, a Blue Nile, where they're very much focused on kind of the younger segment, it's very Internet-based, you know, they're selling $3,000 Louis Vuitton bags that people buy online, right? That's a very specific brand and niche that they've developed, and they've, you know, established a very strong following. Um, so they seem to know, you know, how to position their brand, how they can translate products into services, um, and really, you know, grow that loyalty, right, versus a more traditional, uh, say, department store. Thank you, Nancy. B.J. Bueno, talk to us. Yeah, you know, as I listen, you know, I'm agreeing with everything. But, you know, one of the chronic issues that retailers have, uh, and it literally goes all the way up to the CEO, is this idea that it's not my department. And it's just almost like mm-hmm. a mantra, it's yes. like, uh, and you see it down to the employees. I, I guess we're talking about CompUSA at the beginning. Scott was mentioning, and I have to say that I would laugh at the CompUSA associates because they would literally were like magnets that would see people come and would literally, I would see them run at times outside. So it was just incredible the lack of customer service that they had. They, that, you know, so it's like as you look at retailers, one of the chronic diseases that they have is it's not my department. And, um, and, and it goes all the way down to the associates. Well, that's not my department. I won't go clean that up. That's not, that's not mine to do, or that's marketing's job, or that's merchandise. And as you see, uh, that idea of uh, holistic or having a vision for the brand emerge for more retailers, I think then it becomes an, the ability to, to make these choices becomes easier, where I think a lot of retailers are still a little bit myopic on that front. Thank you, BJ. Scott, anything you want to wrap up on this one? Well, I think sometimes organizations don't understand the difference between differentiation and distinction. Yeah, please if please I, do that if, because that's our title today, so I'd like you to level set. Go ahead, Scott. Yeah, if I slap every customer in the face, I am different. <laughs> but, but well, it gee. It doesn't mean they're coming back, right? Differentiation <laughs> means there's something. I, there are three levels. The bottom level is sameness. And sameness is when the customer can't tell the difference between you and the competition. Therefore, mm-hmm. the main determining factor of where they're going to shop and where they're going to purchase is simply based on price. The jeans are the same both places that I go, so I'll just buy them where they're the cheapest. The second level, then, is differentiation. There's something that's different. Interestingly enough, when we're differentiated, the consumer almost somehow innately understands that I'm going to pay a little bit more for a differentiated product. Uh, if, if we picture walking into a Best Buy to get a laptop computer, at, at that sameness level, you've got, you know, Fujitsu and Gateway and Acer and Asus. I don't know why I should buy an Acer over an Asus, 
they're the same. So there I'm going to go basically on price. Then you step up a level and you get to the Sonys and the Dells and the HPs and, and, and the Samsungs who raise themselves from, from sameness to differentiation. There, there's something about those that, that I find to be a little bit more compelling, a little bit more interesting. And then you get mm-hmm. to the top and obviously the distinction. Uh, my buddy Joe Calloway has a great phrase. He says, it's the category of one. It's, it's the, the, the one that not only pursues customers through advertising and marketing, but attracts customers because they're so distinctive. And Apple, obviously, is the one there. Yes, it, of course. It's interesting to me that when you, you reach that point that there's not only differentiation, but there's something so compelling about who and what you are and how you serve customers that there's, there's an intense emotional linkage with your brand. BJ's example about burning your flesh, you know, Harley Davidson has that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, where, where customers are so connected to you that they, they not only become your customers, they become, to use the guy Kawasaki term, they, they're your evangelists. They're your advocates in the marketplace. They become part of your de facto sales team because they're so connected with your organization that it transcends transaction. It, it, it develops that relationship that, that we want to, to, to be a part of. One of the things we found about distinctive organizations is that customers felt reciprocal loyalty. In other words, I'm loyal to them, but I feel that there is a loyalty extended back to me as the customer. There's something about them that I feel that my loyalty is, is returned by the organization. And, and how do you have an emotional experience or emotional connection without reciprocity? I mean, it's, it, it's got to go both mm-hmm. directions. So to create distinction, part of what you have to do is, is to show customers your loyalty in return through the commitment that you have to the emotional engagement with them. Thank you, Scott. Beautifully put, by the way. I was almost like Thank listening you. to poetry. I love that. Now, <laughs> it's time for me to turn to Nancy Casey. Nancy, it's time to talk about data. We haven't talked about data yet, and that's one of your areas of specialty. So let's talk about managing the data. And Nancy told me in her notes, all of the customer data coming from different channels, structured and unstructured, it's important. She says, drive customer insights, these insights from the data, to your planning process, whether it's your retail promotions, whether it's your merchandise planning, whether it's your assortment planning. Use the data, I'll add. Damn it. Nancy Casey, talk to us. Where is this data? Who needs to use it? And, and what's your message to retailers here? When, when we speak about data, it's uh, some of the, you know, the unfun uh, topics, right? Because everybody, as we talk about the emotional experience and, you know, walking into a store and, and connecting with the brand, um, these are all the exciting things that, you know, we speak about with marketing and merchandising. But underlying all this, as I, I think is a common theme, is, you know, if you're going to connect with the consumer, if you fundamentally need to understand, you know, what your brand is, what your niche is, is and then who is your customer that you want to target, whether it's millennial, whether it's, you know, the, um, the older market, you know, senior citizen market or, you know, the, the suburban mom. But fundamentally, that's, that's where we see companies uh, need to start. So it really is about a data uh, challenge. And, you know, we have this discussion with IT as well as, you know, the business side, marketing, merchandising, because it's not an easy uh, discussion. There, You know, with the advent of social, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, uh, mobile, um, in-store, kiosk, there's billions of points of data everywhere, unstructured and structured. So that's really the challenge and the opportunity for retailers to have to take this data 
make something of it, right? Really understand who are their target customers. And then from that, decide, you know, what kind of merchandise they want to sell. How are they going to build that brand uh, really well? And then, you know, once you build that personalized experience, that's how you start to build loyalty uh, and and, uh, grow your business. Thank you. BJ Bueno, talk to us. Thoughts on data, the big D word. Well, I'm a big data fan. I'm actually uh, a nerd and a big fan of SAP and the work that they do with uh, data. So I I think it's just a no-brainer. I mean, it's just a no-brainer for folks uh, to start using data. I think uh, there's a ton of resistance, and this I cannot emphasize enough with retailers of all sizes towards understanding information. And I think one of the reasons that I've seen is that nobody wants to be wrong. And obviously, there's a lot of research on this that, you know, we as humans have uh, a um, sort of a resistance to looking stupid and, uh, and being foolish and uh, not knowing what was right. And you can continue something for a 100 years even that's not good for a business just because. And as data begins to emerge, I think it's important for us to, um, one of the things in Level 5 leadership is becoming humble because if you have a great um, desire for the vision of your business or for the vision of your stockholders or your customer, that data is going to help guide you. Now, the one point I'll throw in as a humanistic person and also a humanistic Mm -hmm. approach to business, that doesn't mean that your intuition goes away and that you don't get to listen to your gut reaction. There's a lot of data as well explaining how the best, best brand managers in the world are using a mix of incredible data with incredible gut reaction. Like they know their customer at a gut level, but they also are reading the numbers and going, okay, this is trending. we got to go this direction, guys. Where I personally feel that it's a great opportunity because – before, so much guesswork. Everything was guesswork. You didn't know what the heck was going to happen. We're now, at least, we're beginning to get information back, and you can say, okay, that worked great. That's not working. And then you can ask critical questions. Why? It's not like you're going to abandon your strategy because it didn't work, but it gives you an opportunity to actually reevaluate it. So I think it's very useful, and um, I encourage retailers to really you know, take the, the power that they have because their customers are creating that data for them, and they just basically would, you know, need to understand how it works. It's a gift. It's a gift. Guess mm-hmm. what? I want to go to, we're going to take a break in about five minutes, but I'm, I'm looking at everyone's notes here, and I found something very interesting we haven't covered in BJ's comments. And BJ says to retailers, be open, inviting, and inclusive. BJ says global brands have to be ready to welcome customers of all ages, races, creeds, socioeconomic backgrounds with open arms. Outperforming brands do not discriminate against anyone who doesn't fit their idealized customer profile. Everyone is welcome. BJ, in the real world of retailing, I walk in a store that, that I'm looking for something and, and they might say, oh, you're too old for this product or, or you're yeah. too tall for this product or we can't fit you. Bye-bye. Go to the store down the end of the mall there. How is it? What's the reality? What's the reality check on, on how it often is a store able to welcome everyone? Seriously. Well, you know, imagine imagine a retailer that in the future will be able to meet that criteria 
they won't lose customers. And uh, they're already appearing, and they, they're already more inclusive. They're more inviting, and they're actually uh, customization. They're the folks who are driving these initiatives where they're going to make sure if it's you and every customer is a VIP. And as we get our, our data working together more, we can include the customer in a way that they don't feel discriminated or segmented in any uh, harmful way. And um, one of the people the terrors that data brings to consumer is, well, I'm going to be segmented in a way that's going to make me feel bad. So it's like we, um, as marketers and as retailers, and as, uh, have to think really hard about how to use this information in a way that makes the customer feel more included. And they're like, wow, I would have never thought they would have known that, or, but in a way that doesn't feel like creepy and you're being spooked on, you know. So it's an interesting balance. Interesting balance. That's what we're looking for. Scott McCain, thoughts on that balance of welcoming everyone in retail? Well, I, I, I love what BJ just said. I mean, mm-hmm. and the part about combining data with your intuition, because I think a lot of folks think it's an either or. I'm, I'm either going to fly the seat of my pants and go with my gut, or I'm going to use the data and create these very clinical, sterile types of responses. And I, I think what he just outlined is, is the pathway to the future. I mean, it, it, it's that the magic's in the mix. It's that combination of, of using the data so effectively, so efficiently that we drill into what's really important with the customer, and we combine that with our own unique insights and intuition and personality to create, when you put that together, you create something distinctive. That's the pathway to get there. Wow. Wow, that's tweetable. Nancy Casey, thoughts on what we're talking about here, this everyone. And you're talking about every kind of data from customers. What about that welcoming experience and intuition with data? That's what I want to talk about. Agree. And we, it's, uh, it's never going to be 100% of a science, especially retail. I mean, you're, you're working with customers, uh, the end consumer. And as I mentioned, it's, it's very much an emotional experience. So I think the intuition and the data, there's always going to be this art and science for the most successful uh, retailers, and so I think uh, you know there's there's so much data that, that's out there, and so it's a I think it's a great opportunity for retailers as consumers are you know shopping on the web. You can get instant information about if they like or they dislike um, a product. You can connect with them in real time and and get that that feedback, uh, which is something that retailers have not had before. And I think the the challenge and the opportunity will be you know a lot of retailers will say that they have that data today, they'll do some research, but then really, what do you do with that next, right? You've got some great research about, you know, who the segments are, what they're doing, but then how do you translate that to your corporate strategy? How do you actually translate that to a merchandise plan of products that you're going to buy or a one-to-one promotion? So I think, you know, the art and science and then trying to bring that insight into the actual business planning itself is what makes uh, retailers effective. Beautiful. Art and science, intuition and data. We've got a good formula here. Guess what? My panel has worked very hard. 30-minute roundtable. Bravo. We're going to take a break. 90 seconds. That's it. I would like BJ Bueno at the Cult Branding Company, Scott McCain, an expert on retail distinction and a distinctive person in his own right, and Nancy Casey, a global VP at SAP. Three of you, I'd like you to go out in that 90 seconds I'm going to give you and find the crystal ball. I want you to come back with your predictions. I think we're going to have two minutes apiece, and we're going to ask if we fast-forwarded to 2020 or any year, weekday, month, or minute that you see 
blue skies in the crystal ball, what will we be saying about retail relevancy, distinction, Trump's differentiation? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We'll be right back after the break. Don't even think of touching that dial. You know the rest. Brad out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network the time for enterprise mobility is now according to idc by 2013 over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology comprising 34.9 percent of the workforce the impact of mobility on business is clear Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are, and it's time for our prediction segment. We're going to talk to B.J. Bueno at the Cult Branding Company up first. B.J., take a comfortable two minutes and tell us if you want to fast forward to 2020 or any time that looks clear in the crystal ball, what do you see in terms of the changes that will happen in retail relevancy? Will retailers get it and do a better job? Talk to me, B.J., go. Well, um, you know, looking into my crystal ball and also pulling a little bit of my voodoo from my ancestors, I'm going to look into deep into the tea leaves here. And, uh, you know, 20, 2020, I, I think that one of the biggest trends that I see in my mind is safety across borders. I think that brands and, and retailers and consumers are going to unite by that point in keeping all workers and all products safe and in safe environments in, uh of course, companies are beginning to make that movement, but the transparency will be so great by then that it will be uh, a brotherhood of consumers and creators of products, and, uh, and that will continue to, to grow. The other big trend, I think, is that brands are going to be more and more social. So, you know, it's like Twitter and all these things will continue to go into the future, but they'll become more sophisticated and they'll adapt to the technology. So maybe, as uh, some of the scientists predict, they, your children's, might be accessing their information through retina scans or Google glasses that are more advanced, et cetera. And then I also think that uh, to really push it out there is that we'll take customers as they are. So in other words, customization will have reached such a peak that uh, instant manufacturing of clothing, items Mm -hmm. that fit exactly you, instantly at the store, everything will just be created um, in the moment. And then finally, I think we'll be in outer space. I think that... uh, People like Richard Branson and NASA and SpaceX and um, all the collaboration in the International Space Station is going to turn into a giant space hotel. And I think we're going to go shopping in the moon and uh, with zero-G gravities, and we'll figure out how to land safely and uh, 
be up there just long enough to enjoy it and come back. Wow, that's a lot of great predictions. Uh, BJ, I'm just going to ask you a question here. I'm looking at the rest of your notes, and I noticed you said you talk about Abraham Maslow, the, the concept of freedom and self-actualization, and you, noticed, you noted that Harley promotes freedom on the open road. Vans promotes freedom from convention. Linux promotes freedom of information. Apple, well, they give us the freedom to be creative and self-expression. Is this personal freedom promotion something that more and more retailers will understand and embrace in the next couple of years? You know, I I would personally hope so because it would be a a more delightful experience everywhere you go. Um, I I think that there's some resistance to it, but I think as more uh, retailers get it, that this is good business and that self-actualization, the bridge to that is freedom. So the more you allow your customers to be free and feel like – they're not being constrained in any ways, the more your business will actually grow and flourish with them. And uh, we've seen many businesses um, co-grow with their customers. Thank you very much. Scott McCain, you're up. Two minutes. Predictions, go. Well, I can't wait for the moon thing because it will do wonders for my (laughs) golf game. Zero gravity will really increase the length of my drives. (laughs) I'm looking forward to that. That is fantastic. It's funny when you think about 2020 that it's six years away. And as rapidly as time passes, when we only think about how close that is. So looking into my crystal iPad here. Oh, that was good, Scott. That was good. I think wearable technology, I think the the Apple Watch, I think that kind of technology is going to revolutionize everything in a a very, very short period of time. I I can't believe that I'm using Kmart as an example, but if you remember the commercial that they had not long ago that caused such a stir about ship my pants, and I was very careful how I said that. Yes, you were. We we don't have the right size, so we can ship it to you. I, I think in a funny kind of way, a strange kind of way, that may become a model of the future, is that when our customer walks in, either through their iPhone or Android or even the Apple Watch, we know what size jeans that they wear, and we know that if we don't have those jeans in that size in stock, that we can approach them and make certain that they're delivered by FedEx the next morning. So we'll mm-hmm. see the integration of online and, and the showrooming. The retailers of the future are going to be able to incorporate showrooming into the process so it becomes a total way to serve the customer that if I don't have exactly what you want, I'm going to help you. I'm, I'm going to be mm-hmm. your partner to make certain that that product is delivered to your doorstep by the next day. Instead of viewing that as a competitor, how do we integrate that into the system and how do we use data and, and the technology to be able to know that and anticipate the customer's needs and anticipate what they're looking for know our inventory so well that we can deliver it to them either in the store with our current stock or immediately the next day. I I think that's 2020, and I I think that will help retailers eliminate what's happening with showrooming and what's happening with with online retailing as a competitor. It it becomes a complement to what we're already doing. Thank you, Scott. I hear you saying make for me will be paired or partnered with deliver to me. And that'll yeah, be part exactly. of the experience. If I, if I can walk in and try on those jeans and have them and, and walk out of the store with them, that's infinitely superior to you know to not having them. But if you don't have them in my size and I can hold them, I can look at them, and then I know that they're going to be exactly my size and I'll have them tomorrow morning, well, why would I go to a competitor that's just an online retailer when I have the opportunity to have a great experience 
by shopping with you. The, the experience that a brick-and-mortar retailer can bring when done properly is always going to trump the solo online experience. Thank you. Nancy Casey, I saved exactly two minutes for you. Predictions, go. Okay, so if I, if I think about, as I look into my uh, crystal ball as well, and I think about what's happening globally, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the opening quote about Alibaba, I really do think that there is a profound change that will happen in the retail market because, you know, the retail market is the consumer market. So first I think about globalization. So um, by 2020, you know, retail companies, uh, it'll be hard to distinguish whether a retail company is U.S.-based, whether it's based in China or whether it's based in Europe, because increasingly you're going to have global companies um, with one brand, and it could be um, – uh, servicing or delivering from China, or they could be servicing delivering from Spain, and you know it's, it's a multi-country uh, globalization uh, business that uh, that these retailers are running. And that's number one. So I think globalization is a big trend. Um, secondly, kind of the rise of the middle class. So if we think about all these emerging markets um, around China, Russia, India, Brazil, you'll see a lot of you know retailers increasingly focusing and in, in catering to this you know rising middle class. Um, these emerging markets. And then thirdly, I would say that uh, with social responsibility, we'll see that, you know, as trends emerge around, uh, you know, corp- uh, corporate responsibility, water, energy, how do we provide a good environment globally? I think retailers will increasingly focus on that from both the social and environmental um, aspects. So I think with those three trends, you'll see, you know, technology really uh, enabling those around how do you make retailers more global? How do we reach out? Technology will enable how retailers can reach out to uh, the, the billions of people in the world with this, uh, you know, the rising um, different consumers uh, around the world. And then, you know, how do they make an impact um, socially? Thank you, Nancy. Perfect timing. I need 30 seconds to close the show. First of all, BJ Bueno, the cult branding company, thank you for your insights, your wisdom, and thanks for tweeting during the show. This was great. Scott McCain, thank you also for being with us. Our distinction expert, Nancy Casey at SAP. What a great panel. Thank you to Stephen Sparrow tweeting at Retail Bird and Malcolm Kimberlin at SAP underscore radio and everybody else. What a Twitter party we've been having here. Shout outs to Stephen Sparrow, Malcolm Kimberlin, Brad and the Business Channel team. And guess what? Let's see what's coming up. Well, today is Double Header Wednesdays. Uh, We're just finishing Coffee Break with Game Changers. I'll be back today at 3 p.m. Eastern with the Internet of Things with Game Changers, our debut show in that brand-new series. Next Wednesday afternoon, we will have the Customer Edge with Game Changers. Tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Eastern, bright and early, I'll be on with Innovating Innovation with Game Changers and the following Thursday, Future of Business. You all know what happens. We go back on Monday with HR Trends, Tuesday with Financial Excellence, and I'll see you again here Wednesday morning with Coffee Break. Wow, we love the business channel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. I'll see you later on the Internet of Things with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.